0: So, I'm so glad to be here this morning. You can tell that Pastor David's voice is coming back, which, of course, is an answer to prayer. Um, It also means that I don't know how many more times I'm going to be up here, and I got lots to say. So, I don't know how long we're going to be here this morning, but I'm sure that we guys are already checking their watches. They're like, whoa, what is happening here? It's the nightmare scenario. Uh, no, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. I wanna say uh, hello to those of you watching at home. Which of my cameras is, is at home? Okay, all right, so those of you watching at home, you are part of a multinational audience right now because my parents are watching in Colorado and, and of course here in Texas, so that's at least two countries that are watching. And so uh, good morning to, uh, to everybody and those of you in the house, glad that you are here. Uh, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're going to start walking through in verse 1, and then we're going to, uh, to cover Daniel in the lion's den, but we need to do a little bit of context here because uh, I know two weeks ago when Pastor David talked about it, he left us again at a little bit of a cliffhanger as Daniel is being um, uh, carted away to the lion's den, and then it was like, bam! Bam! That's it, and so if I come in and just say, okay, now we find Daniel in the lion's den We're just gonna have to talk about context anyway, so we're gonna do that But but real quickly if you're paying attention um, Up to now we've been talking about Babylon. We've been talking about Nebuchadnezzar and then we talked about uh, Belshazzar at at, uh, in chapter 5 and then at the end of chapter 5 It says the Belshazzar was no longer king and it fell to Darius the Mede now If you're paying attention to the geopolitics of the time, because I know that all of you are, that sounds like a little bit of a shift, and it was. See, Babylon, the city, was captured by the Medo-Persian Empire at the time, which was led by Cyrus the Great. Now, the Middle Persian Empire was huge. It was vast. It was roughly the size of what Alexander the Great would later conquer. Now, Darius was actually a general working for Cyrus the Great. It was probably actually a title rather than a name. And he became the custodian of Babylon. So he was just kind of the caretaker. And he used roughly the same administration tactics that Nebuchadnezzar did and everybody else. Instead of using all the conquered people and just busting them down to the lowest social status that he could find and making them all slaves. He said, "Let's let's use the wisest and talented guys that we can find, and and help, um, and use them to help administer this conquered territory. We don't want uh, everybody to just think that as soon as we come in, that we're going to to." Um, use only the the Medes and the Persians to run things because actually that invites rebellion. Um, We want to, you know, we want to foster everybody to get along. We want to help everybody feel a sense of peace and a sense of unification. And so he finds Daniel. Uh, Much like Nebuchadnezzar identified Daniel early on, much like Belshazzar uh, used Daniel for his talents, uh, we have Darius identified Daniel very, very early on. Now before we get to the text of Daniel chapter 6 Here's a quick word about choosing and using wise counsel Because the Bible has a lot to say about using wise counsel in Proverbs chapter 11 It says where there is no guidance a people falls but in an abundance of counselors there is safety Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed that's Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Now, the Bible is also very careful to say that it's not just about any counselors. Those counsels, those advisors that you invite into your life, they have to be about consistency with what the Word of God teaches, right? They have to be people that you trust to be consistent to what the Bible says. Otherwise, those counselors are going to lead you astray. So we must consider the source of our advisors and we also have to listen to them. It's not just about collecting advisors into your life and hanging out with them, but not listening to them. There's a quote, and I don't know who said it, but somebody really smart said it. He said, all of us are smarter than any one of us. Now, I, I hang out with a, a bunch of smart people and I have smart people on my board, but it would be different if I just had a meeting and I said, okay, everybody, I want you to sit around the table, I want you to listen to my plans, and I, I want you to just nod and check off everything that I plan to do. What's the value of having smart advisors on my board if that's what I plan to do all along? Now, my father-in-law is one of the most gifted handymen that I've ever known, and I am not at all gifted in anything regarding handyman tasks at all, okay? Now, If something breaks in my house, my wife and I both have the same strategy and that is to call my father-in-law, okay? Now, it doesn't matter if I can probably handle it. We both feel better if we have him on the phone or better yet, in person. Now, it would be ridiculous if I said to him, hey, I have a really complicated problem in my house. Something just broke and I know that you can fix it. Would you come and just stand there silently And watch me as I as I attempt to fix this what good is having him there at all if that is my plan and so it's not just about having counselors in your life it is about listening to those counselors and so the question for us then is how do you choose and use the counsel in your life the people of Israel God's people did not have a very good track record Of choosing and using the counselors in their life I'm gonna read you a text out of Jeremiah chapter 7 and this is God telling the prophet Jeremiah I want you to go to the people of Judah this is right before they are carried off into exile by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians he says Jeremiah I want you to go I want you to counsel the people of Judah and they're probably not gonna listen to you but they need to hear these words And so Jeremiah, being the dutiful prophet, he goes and he he counsels them, and this is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. So, So just imagine a prophet shows up right outside the church doors. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, I didn't just stutter there. It actually repeats itself. And so you get the sense that the people who are caring for the Lord's house in that day, they are just trusting in repetition over and over and over again without going any deeper into what God's word says. And Jeremiah continues, he says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Now listen to this key verse. Verse 8, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing these abominations. And so you see that even the prophet Jeremiah shows up and says you have a habit of going to church and trusting in just Repetition and doing these same things over and over and then going off and living the kind of life that you want And then coming back and pretending none of that ever happened But I am your counselor sent by God you need to listen to me And of course we know that they didn't because they are eventually conquered by Babylon and carried off into exile So how do you choose and use the counsel in your life? Watch carefully how Darius chooses and uses his counsel in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be used throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss." Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set over him the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall, find, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we know because Pastor David talked about it two weeks ago, Daniel now has served several kings and each of these kings has found him to be not only highly competent, but professionally blameless. Does this mean that he was without sin? Of course not. But it means that when he did his work, he was excellent at it. And he found favor with all of these pagan kings. He he held faithful to his religion. He held faithful to the work at hand. And he was found to be excellent. The description here is he was faithful. His character and his performance was found to be above reproach. So they look for any other angle they can find to tie him to something that they can use against him. And the only thing left to him to this group that is conspiring against him is the religion that is different than theirs so then verse 6 then these high officials and satraps came by agreement notice that phrase because it's going to come into play several more times they came by agreement to the king and said to him "O king darius live forever All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, here we see that a moment's worth of pride goes a long way because his advisors not only know Daniel very well, they know their audience, but they also know King Darius very well now King Darius again remember he is just he's just the vizier he's just the caretaker he's the superintendent he works for Cyrus and his job is to keep the peace and so his advisors come to him and they say oh King Darius live forever which sounds pretty good back then right they're playing to his vanity And they say, now, king, if you really want everybody unified, if you want everybody on the same page, what we really need to do is to make sure that everybody is praying and making petition to one person. And who really more worthy of that than you, O King Darius? And by the way, everybody has agreed on this. And because they led with flattery, because they appealed to his pride, King Darius is swept away in their flattery and he goes along with it. Now, of course, we know that not all the officials were signed on to this, right? There is one particular distinctive official who's missing from this. The one who Darius was thinking about putting in charge of the entire kingdom. But that's what a moment's worth of pride will do. How easily can a moment of pride interfere in our lives? That he missed Daniel as they say, everybody is agreed on this. That nobody should be, be making prayers or petitions except to you for an entire month. Now, don't you think that's a good idea, King Darius? And King Darius is like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Great, sign here. And because... When you are that self-assured, when you are that full of pride, of course you're going to have rules that don't need to be undone because you are that sure of yourself. You don't need an out clause, right? You don't need them to be refuted in any way. You're going to sign it. You're going to be done and there will be no looking back. By contrast, Daniel and the humility he has several options available to him at this point. Remember, he is not just anybody. He is one of the three most highly ranking people under Darius in the entire kingdom. He could have kicked in the door to the throne room. I mean, with respect. He could have demanded an audience with Darius. He could have said, "Um, King Darius, I think we have a misunderstanding here. He could have done any number of things. I'm sure he had political allegiances. I'm sure he had people working for him that could have gone to King Darius and said, you realize what you just did, right? But he doesn't do any of those things. He resorts to his habit and his discipline. And we see that in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, that little phrase, as he had done previously, sometimes gets glossed over, but I, th- I think Pastor David did a really good job a couple weeks ago of underscoring the kind of habit that Daniel has here. When Daniel was carried off into captivity The best guess that we have is that he was probably in his early 20s. By this time in his life, Daniel is in his early 80s. And so we are talking about six decades worth of habit, praying in a foreign land, working for pagan kings. And this is his habit. When he hears that prayer has been outlawed for the next 30 days. Now, he could have said, okay, well... It's gonna be a long month, but I'll make it. You know, he could have done all those things, but his habit and his discipline kicked in. Now, we don't know exactly the timing of all of this. We don't know if he, if he heard and said, well, I'm going home to pray, right then and there. We don't know if he went home and agonized, if he sat in a corner with his, his face in his hands, we don't know what his reaction was, and frankly, it really doesn't matter. Because, you know, of course, the, you know, the, the Bible hero story is that he heard about the law and he went right home and he slammed his door and he threw open the shutters and he started praying. But I think we need to also give credit where credit is due in the fact that Daniel is a real flesh and blood human being. This is not an easy moment for him. He is a man of power and position, and he knows that lions aren't cute and cuddly. He knows that his boss has a den of lions. And by the way, if you ever see that on a LinkedIn profile, don't apply there. And so whether or not he crumpled into a heap in his apartment or whether or not he threw open the shutters immediately, it doesn't matter. Jesus was so stressed out in the garden before being turned over to the authorities to be crucified that he sweat drops of blood. It didn't diminish the fact that he was crucified later on. It didn't diminish the greatest sacrifice that the world has ever known. It's okay that people in the Bible experience stress. But Daniel, after whatever pause there was, resorted back to his habits and discipline. And he opens the windows, and he prays toward Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly what kind of prayer he prayed, but we do have an example of what he was praying in that first year of Darius' rule. You have to go over to Daniel chapter 9 to find it, and I'm going to read you an excerpt from it because I think it's really instructive. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession... Saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 17, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That is the prayer of humility. That is the prayer of confessing sin. That is the prayer of saying, Lord, it's not because we have done everything right. In fact, just the opposite We are praying for the restoration of Jerusalem. We are praying for the restoration of your people, not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because you are the God of mercy. And we have to believe that he prayed that prayer for 60 years. Do we have that kind of fortitude today to pray for 60 years unanswered and to stay at it? And faced with this treasonous prayer. This is the prayer that these conspirators hear and find Daniel praying. And then they go and tattle on him. Because in verse 12 it says, Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Notice Darius is kind of feeling his oats right now. He's feeling pretty good about that thing that he signed. Verse 13, Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel... Who is one of the exiles from Judah Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day Now notice the description of Daniel Because these weasels who are conspiring against him Don't describe him as one of the three high officials in the kingdom They don't use any lofty titles They don't describe his track record of success They describe him by his ethnicity and his slave background. They say Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. You know, King Darius, that guy who's way beneath you, the guy who's different from the rest of us, that guy who pays no attention to you, O king, which is at best a half-truth, because we know that Daniel executes his work with excellence. And notice the reaction of King Darius in verse 14 Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed And set his mind to deliver Daniel And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him Darius knows the worth of Daniel Darius knows what a moment's worth of pride has caused And Darius sets about to get Daniel off the hook Then in verse 15, then these men came by agreement. You got to know there's a lot of meetings after the meeting happening here. And this little cabal is saying, no, we've got to stay together here. We know the king is stressed out. We know the king has been working all day to try and get Daniel off the hook. We've got to stay together. So they came by agreement to the king and said to the king Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians That no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed So they say to him, it's nice that you want to get Daniel off the hook We know you think he's a nice guy Doesn't matter He's got to be thrown in So in verse 16 Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions The king declared to Daniel May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. That's the words of a pagan king saying to Daniel, You have been faithful to your God. We all see it. May your God come through for you in this moment. Because that's the king saying, I tried. I've got nothing. I can't help you. And verse 17, and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was and cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, and by the way, these are the only words of Daniel in the whole chapter O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted his God. Absolutely amen. I read one commentator that said Darius didn't sleep all night, and it's likely that Daniel slept better than Darius did. I have a list of questions for God when I get to heaven, and I really sincerely hope that I get the opportunity to ask them And I have a question about Daniel's night in the lion's den What was that like? And what did Daniel see? Because if you read a children's Bible And you look at the picture, right? You know, if you've ever done that, you know the picture I'm referring to, it looks like he's dropped into a petting zoo or a -A Build-A-Bear store, right? I mean, it looks like there's just a mound of fluffy lions, and Daniel is in there just like cuddling all of them, and that's what his night was like, and that very well might have been. You know, there are other pictures, not that we have any idea, but there are other pictures, you know, where Daniel's huddled in a corner and there's an angel standing between him and the lions are over there frothing at the mouth. We don't really know. What we do know is that when Daniel was lifted out, there was not any damage found on him at all. Much like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke. That's how thoroughly God protects His people who are faithful. There wasn't even a drop of drool on Daniel. That's hard to do. It, I mean, I'm sure that the lion's den wasn't spacious. And I'm sure it wasn't clean. But when they lifted him out, nothing was found amiss on him at all. And here's what we, what we like to take away from this story. You know, if you read commentators, if you listen to sermons on this... This story always, always boils down to Daniel made a stand for God. And that's, that's true. I'm not going to diminish that. But the, the typical takeaway from that is that he made a stand for God in the face of this pagan king. And that's kind of true. But what he did was instead of standing firm, he knelt firmly. He hit his knees as he was in the habit of doing anyway. Whether it's in the face of schemes or in the flow of victories, he hit his knees because that's what he was in the habit of doing. You know, something that, that Pastor David said two weeks ago, in fact, I, I texted him this week, I said, man, that was a really brilliant point, is that it's so tempting when we talk about these sermons to make the point of the sermon about what the enemy is doing instead of about what we're doing. You know, the life of a believer in Christ, the life of a disciple, largely has nothing to do with what the enemy does. Because if it did, that would be living very reactively. But the life of a disciple, the life of a follower, is lived proactively. By proactively following the designs of God. Not living reactively to what the devil and the schemes are are doing around us. We have our marching orders. We know what we're supposed to be doing to follow the designer of our life. the, The creator of the universe. And Daniel lives that out so perfectly. He was praying in the good times. He was praying in the bad times. He was working the job in front of him in the good times. He was working the job in front of him in the bad times. And so when we look at the example of David here, here are a couple of things that that we see him doing. First of all, when his life was on the line, and though he had a significant platform, there was no grand speech or sermon. And I find that remarkable The only lines, as I pointed out In that whole chapter Was that verse 21 After he had been spared After God shut the mouth of the lions He said, King, I'm fine Because I didn't offend God And I didn't offend you He was a man of substance Not show You know, Daniel could have prayed Anywhere when he heard about the order, when he heard about the injunction, he could have gone right into Darius' throne room. He had access. And he said, King Darius, with all due respect, I need to pray. I'm called to pray. You know this about me. And then, bam, he could have hit his knees right then. But his habit and his discipline was to go home, to throw open his shutters that faced Jerusalem, and to pray the prayer that he had been praying for 60 years. Now I want to be careful to not take that too far Does that mean that we are not supposed to speak out about injustice going on around us? Absolutely not But notice daniel was not quick on the trigger to speak out. He prayed first He got his marching orders first Now could god have said all right now god now daniel you're one of my prophets I have used you as a mouthpiece for me many many times to several kings in this city Here is what I want you to say absolutely that could have happened It didn't happen in this case. It had happened in previous cases Daniel Got his marching orders Right into the lion's den and Daniel remained faithful And the last thing is When we look at Daniel's story It's really a story about God and not about Daniel When Daniel makes a stand or when Daniel takes a knee The story is told in such a way That the story is about God and not about Daniel And I would use as support for that The way that King Darius tells the story Because the last words of the chapter listen to how King Darius tells the rest of his kingdom about this story. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. That in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. King Darius can't help himself but to tell about this story. But when King Darius looks at what has happened and the events in Daniel's life, he talks about God. And so the question for us today is when people see our lives, do they talk about us or do they talk about God? If you're a follower in Jesus today, if you're a disciple, if you're a learner, You are called to be an ambassador. You're called to be a reconciler. You're called to be a middleman. You're called to be a matchmaker. You're called to be a person who points to Jesus. And rarely, if ever, do those people get any credit. Rarely, if ever, are those people the subjects of the story. And that's the point. Those people are supposed to be pointing to the subject of the story. We're supposed to be saying to the world, there is a place, there is a person who will give you peace and joy and satisfaction and love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and all the things that you're looking for in life that you can't find in yourself. Let me show you the way. So do people see that when they see your life? And for those of you who haven't yet found those things, today can be the day that you choose to follow Christ, that you choose to give Him your life. Say, Lord, I have tried to find those things on my own and it has not worked out very well. I have tried to provide my own satisfaction. I have tried to let myself off the hook and it just doesn't work. I want more out of this life John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but God comes so that they might have life and have it to the full sometimes there's a little bit of a miscommunication that God wants you to have some sort of stripped down life but that's not biblical that's not what the Bible says the Bible says God wants you to have a full and abundant life And you can have it today. All you need to do is say, Lord, I've tried and I failed. I confess to you that I need you. I'm sorry for the things that I have done. I need you in my life going forward. Come into my life. I believe that you are who you say that you are. It's a very simple prayer. And if you want to know more about living out that life, about how people can see God in your story, because your story could start today. There are resources here at the church. You can talk to Pastor David. If you're here in the building, you can talk to Pastor David today. If you're watching online, you can fill out a card on the website and they will contact you this week. But when people see your story, do they see more? because they can they saw it in daniel because after being rescued from the mouths of hungry lions the king said we need to praise the god of the universe let's pray heavenly father you are that god you are the god who rescued shadrach meshach and abednego you are the god who rescued daniel you are the god who sent your son jesus to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death so that we might have life full here on earth and eternal in heaven with you. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. And Lord, it is my prayer for me and anyone within the hearing of my voice that when people see my life, they might see you at work. Lord, let us be a people of prayer. Let us be a people who surround ourselves with godly counselors. Let us be a people who are wary and vigilant against moments of pride. And Lord, let us be a people who walk out the story of your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, let us take advantage of this time. Lord, let us sing your praises. And Lord, as Daniel was described, let us be described. Let us be found faithful. We pray in Jesus' name.